0: The greatest responsibility we have on earth is how we care for our children and the youth of tomorrow. Do we lead with love? Do we understand what holistic care looks like? Well, my guest today has spent a career with wellness of youth and helping to coach others up. So sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into you're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. America emboldened.
1: Great, I feel emboldened. You don't know the founding fathers. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they sacrificed.
2: We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what
0: you voted for. Welcome, bold Americans, to another episode. I have a great guest for you here today, no other than D.D. Hoover. Now, D.D. Hoover is a wellness coach who specializes in supporting families and improving pediatric health outcomes, as well as family wellness. Not only does she do this, but she has several certifications over the past 36 years, personal fitness instructor and coach, nutritionist, lactation, bodywork techniques, and modality certifications. Uh, She graduated back in 1992 from the Brian Utting Massage School. Uh, She is also one of the advocates and workers with Kids First, which you might have heard earlier uh, on my episode with Dr. Paul Thomas. She's a co-founder of Kids First Forever. And I wanted to bring her onto the program to talk about what parents, teachers, and those that work with youth may not be aware of about the trauma the teenagers and children are dealing with today. So, D.D., welcome to the show. Glad to have you.
3: Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here, Greg.
0: No, it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. I, I was looking forward to speaking with you about this uh, since we spoke a couple of weeks ago. And here we are in the new year. And what better time to address mm-hmm. what the ills of the world are for our children <laughs> than at the start of a year? And I'll, I'll kind of start right away. You know, we just went through Christmas, and many parents were uh, figuring out what to get their children for Christmas. Uh, figuring out what type of gifts they should put under the tree for them. And I know in my family, I have an 11-year-old who wanted a cell phone. And I said, absolutely not. And she said, well, all my friends got cell phones last year or this year. Why can't I have one? And I said, when you're in high school, you'll need one. Um, From what I see as a high school teacher, that seems to be one of the biggest doors for trauma and for bullying, and so many other different things like pornography uh, to introduce the children. Am I an overreacting parent? Uh, or what would you say to a parent as far as technology and its role within uh, mental health and young people?
3: No, you are not overreacting. And at my, my child, my son is now 23. And of course, we were faced Um, 10 years ago with kind of the same decision and actually starting when he was with 10. I think the difference now is you mentioned technology. Technology is, it's so important in our world. So for kids to have an understanding of that is very important. To not allow them to have the things they need to be a part of that can also be a big issue of it. What we have to look at though, is when, especially when you talk about a phone and especially an 11, 12, 13 year old because the frontal lobe of the brain is not developed yet their ability to make the decisions that are important aren't as defined there there isn't that ability so when you talk about a cell phone if you talk about an old phone which we allowed our son to have at 10 because he walked to school but there was no there wasn't a smartphone at that time there was nothing that could connect him to social media and the bottom line is it's social media. Social media is what we're talking about when you just mentioned bullying or things that are happening. It's that online aspect. So should a should a kid have a phone? Should they be taught? I believe they should be taught how to use them, I think. And there are restrictions and things. But I agree that not until high school, when it's being used for technology and accessing things, yes, I think that's important. If we don't allow them to have that, then they're actually, in my opinion, would be behind when it comes to being able to work in our world. Um, You know, you have to you have to have a phone for for many reasons. I was very glad when my son started driving that he had a phone because we put life 360 on it and so I knew when he sped up or was using his phone. There was a there's some benefits to that and to having that and knowing their location and knowing where they are. Um and and staying on that. So I think the biggest piece and I coach families on is when you're going to introduce something before you give them a phone for Christmas or allow them to have access to things that we have fears about, we talk to them first, we set up the boundaries, we set up the rules around it. And then I think it can be a healthy experience.
0: Excellent. I appreciate that answer. Um, I will play this podcast back for my daughter. So what you're <laughs> telling me is I need one of those phones with the big buttons on it, that they can only <laughs> dial five numbers. I got it. Uh, I'm just kidding. So so I wanted to start with that as an answer for the listeners, because I think that that kind of gets us into this conversation about what you're doing. You heard me give a bio at the beginning of uh, this interview, and I wanted to kind of get straight into a question, but now I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about yourself. Who is D.D. D. Hoover?
3: Um, Who is she to me or everybody else in my world? <laughs>
0: How would you describe yourself to people?
3: Yeah, I think what's so perfect about the timing of this too, Greg, is that it is 2023. And I just on my own Facebook post, which I'm not on very much, I had written a letter to 2022 just the other day on, I learned so much. And over the last two years, just like everybody else dealing with the trauma and the chaos and the, the, all kinds of things. I learned so much and I decided that now that I know those things, 2023 for me is going to be about putting those into play, not about the lessons anymore as much or learning. Well, always going to be learning. But how do I take all those things that I've learned and all the kids that I've worked with and all the coaching and put together more? And that's what Kids First Forever really is about. Um, again, we Dr. Paul talked about it on your show, it's understanding what's happening for our youth. And so me, Didi, is having my own um childhood being traumatic, if you will, or all of the things that happened, that it's that it's okay, we can move past that. I'm an example of that. And this year for me, for Didi, it's about sharing, being able to share my story more openly. And my sister didn't have the same the same outcome um, and being able to look at more what happened to us as children and, and it's those things are still happening to kids in the world today. And now I can't even imagine growing up in this time and being a teenager and the kids that I work with, hearing what they deal with and So for me, the DD part is taking everything in my past and and all those certifications and things that you mentioned, that education is really important, but I believe that I have been placed here to take everything that I've been through and who my soul is as a person and share that in a way that allows other families to realize no matter what's happened to you, there's always hope and if we move forward with love in everything we do and follow the four things when we raise our children that kids first forever is about that physical mental emotional and spiritual aspect of these kids lives and our own life i think that's how we move towards healthiness and or towards health is by doing those things
0: and doing those things in healthy ways because the four things that you mentioned as being a youth minister as being a high school teacher, I've also seen that that can also be an abusive uh, place for some people. And so today I want to focus on both what our young people are dealing with in their lives, talking about some of that trauma, as well as maybe what people are unaware of, because I think education is so very important for understanding and compassion and empathy. I I, I will just speak to some of my own experiences today and feel free to give some of your personal experiences for listeners if you'd like to. Uh, I'm not trying to open up trauma or anything as we go through,
3: but I, I think
0: it's important for people to sometimes have their walls of understanding expanded, you know, knock down and grow a bit so we can grow together today. So for me personally, my experiences in youth ministry, I've seen what spiritual abuse looks like. Uh, I worked in the Catholic Church during the time where we went through the sexual abuse crisis, where we found out which priests were abusing younger people when back in the 1970s, 60s, and 80s. And then I had to come to terms with I was working for people that helped cover up the abuse. Or I knew families that had children now that I was working with where the, their, you know, fathers were abused. And so oftentimes, you know, I would learn that some of the abused went on to abuse others, and that was painful. Um, In high school, moving over to there, I discovered what physical and emotional abuse looked like as parents neglect their children with either they don't have the means to provide meals for them, or there's physical abuse, uh, sexual abuse. And so the horrors that children are dealing with outside of you know what we start at the top with technology, um, there's still a real mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual abuse that's going on with our young people. And we can equip one another better to recognize those signs. And I'm hoping that today, during this episode, we can kind of Uh, expose and bring to light some of those things that you've seen, DD, as well as give uh, parents and those that work with young people some tips on how to get the proper help for young people, uh, see warning signs, and and be better advocates so we can have healthy versions for kids first, right? Uh, So what's something that in your line of work that you find is a misconception that people uh, aren't aware of? as far as um, trauma for young people? What's something that America is missing?
3: Um, can we can we go back to that question in a minute? You said something sure. really important when you talked Absolutely. about the poor areas and you talked about abuse. One thing I want to say, and that's the point of the Kids First Forever is from the moment a child is born, whether it's C-section, vaginal, any of that, there is trauma um, to birth. And when that's what, with my education and just my, again, my experiences, the idea of the kids first forever, like you just said, is how do we stop that abuse? Mm. And that's the point is that right at the moment we have a child, if we start thinking about those four areas and realize that it's not just, yes, the most important thing is to keep your newborn baby alive. <laughs> we have to feed them and we have to take care of them. There's so much more happening and we forget that the second they're born, just the way we talk to them, if they're crying and we say, you're okay, you're okay. They're not okay. They're crying for a reason. So why are we telling them that they're okay? Little bitty things like that. It's, I'm not saying that when your five-year-old falls down and, you know, on a really soft carpet and she's pretty sure she broke her knee, we don't run over and go, oh my God, oh my God. But if we start from the very moment a child is born, talking to them in a healthy way, and in a way, where as they age and grow, all of those areas, when they're taken care of and loved and raised with joy and love and all those things, the abuse is stopped. That's what's hard: is that those things aren't put in place right away. That's when abuse—people who should be priest of all people, um, who should be—and for me, a youth pastor molesting me as a young child. That's someone I'm supposed to tr- to trust. And that's what's been great, though, is like you had said, you don't want to open up trauma. That's the thing is that when things happen to a child, when they're able to, when we're able to see it or notice it or find it, hopefully prevent it. But if we can't, and parents, we it's some things will happen that we have no control over. And if we can talk to our kids, and for me, deciding that this isn't going to Rule my life, or become everything, or become like a downfall. Um, like I said, my sister wasn't as, as as blessed in that way, but it's allowed me to see and be able to help so many families with. Let's start from the beginning and be as healthy as we can to prevent abuse. But when abuse happens, if we're there, there's a, always a way out. And again, that's sort of the the piece I think that is most important about the work I do is that it's not traumatic for me anymore. It was my experiences that have allowed me to become strong and help other people and advocate for others who have had those issues and that kind of trauma. So when you talk about the abuse, I think that's where it was important to me to mention the Kids First Forever is, it's starting at the beginning.
2: Okay. Let's,
0: let's start at the beginning, um, in a much, uh, I, 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 you know, I'd rather kind of follow along there we can get to where I was in a moment. So we are products of our parents that are products of their parents and generational abuse, uh, generational ignorance of what's being learned in, in the world, you know, uh, we oftentimes say we're going to do better for our kids than our parents did for us. Uh Um, But we still oftentimes will fall back to different types of uh, phrases and words. And so what you said at the beginning, when a child is first born and they're crying, there is a real trauma to the reason why they're crying. Or if they, you know, have a simple uh, issue and they start crying and we go, Oh, stop your crying. Stop your crying. Mm -hmm. That that is actually harmful because what I I believe I understand you to be saying, it's suppressing a natural emotion and replacing it with a feeling of guilt for crying over something. The authoritative figure is saying not to cry for is that, is that kind of in the right world of where you're coming from as far as how that's kind of an emotional abuse and training?
3: Yeah. And, you know, and for some kids. It may not be, I've talked to several adults, and for some kids, it may not have been experienced as abuse or trauma. It's like, well, that made me tougher. My dad always told me, get up, brush it off. But I think what I'm referring to right in the very beginning, and it's the same thing, like I said, you don't, that's where everything is balance. You don't want to over-exaggerate, but you also don't want to go to the level of not paying attention to maybe how your child really feels. So it starts in the very beginning. And when I'm working with parents and, you know, the babies are super fussy because I'm working with newborns, day old babies, and they are fussy. And we talk about colic and acid reflux, all these things that are happening to a baby. So they're not okay. So I believe that if we replace those words and our own feelings, if we can calm ourselves. So that the child doesn't have fear, because we learn fear from others, right? So it's right. if my parents are afraid, then that tells me I should be afraid. So if for parents, if they hold their baby and they let their baby know that you you love them, like I always tell parents, just say you're safe. I've got you. And that's when I've worked with others that were going through a lot and having an emotional release. I'm here, you're safe, I've got you. And if we know that our parents have us and they're there for us no matter how we're feeling, no matter what happens. And when my son would fall down and get hurt, we decided we weren't going to do that, right? We were, it was my niece that taught me that when she was little. We'd always, she fell down one time and said, we're like, you're okay, you're okay. Her knee's bleeding. She skinned it. And we're like, you can stop crying. You're okay, you're okay. We get into this restaurant and out loud in front of everybody, she's like, stop telling me I'm okay, I'm not okay. And it was like, oh, okay. You're right, you're not okay, you're bleeding. Well, let's take care of it. Right. And that's when I learned that lesson. So with our own son, we weren't gonna do that. Well, he, he, we didn't realize that he actually didn't feel pain. He did not register pain when he was younger. So we had to treat him differently with when he'd fall, he'd get up and he'd be bleeding and not even realize he was bleeding. And he'd run around and it was like, oops, you're not okay. Come over, let's heal this, we have to take care of this. So it's back to paying attention to who is this child right smack in front of us and what are their needs and what do we want for them? So again, all that communication and all the things that we give and share with them, if it's about positivity and strength, then that's how they're going to grow. If they're able to figure out, again, an infant isn't able to process or figure that out, but if they feel loved and safe, that's calming. And I'll have parents sometimes go, your baby, my baby loves, me more, loves you more than me because they cry with me and not you. I don't have any of that emotional attachment to that. I'm able to just hold them and help them and find where this pain is. So I think it's the same thing. If we as parents can realize how much we really have for our kids and we love them and if we can love from that place of, you know, as I raise my child, I'm going to figure out what is it they need? Who are they? what's happening, you know, what's their soul, what's them individually and what do
0: they need? Wow. You know, we often say there's no, uh, user manual when our children are born. (laughs)
3: Exactly.
0: Right. Um, and I know for me personally, like uh, growing up, my mom had no qualms whatsoever about kidding me if I was out of line. And I made a a conscious decision very early on that I would never lay a finger on either of my kids. And I've held to that the entire time. My wife has held to that the entire time. And my daughter will tell me she knows the voice of disappointment. Uh And I think that that's so much better for her to recognize the voice of disappointment than anything physical that would make somebody feel harmed or hurt. The way that I felt growing up. Despite that, I talk to other parents that still use the corporal punishment; they still use the the slapping on the rear end. And in society, we've almost had this culture war over the past uh, decade, where uh, it's become almost politicized how people are raising their children, uh, or to say, "Oh, well, you're raising your child soft." I don't see it as raising my child soft. I see it as raising my child with love, with compassion, with empathy, with understanding. Um, And I don't know why violence would ever be an option uh, in order to try to get that through to my child. I can't change other parenting styles, I can't change what other parents do. Is there a way that we can help? Educate people from their own ignorance about this leading with love from our hearts to our child in order to try to rid the world of the corporal punishment model?
3: Yeah, I think that again, when those parents, if you think about it, like you said, generational harm, and the parents that parent that way, most likely, and I don't know of a case where it's not true, that that's how they were parented. And part of the Kids First Forever program is also for adults realizing that the kid inside of them also needs those four areas being paid attention to. That if they, and that was something that, um, again, when raising my raising our son, my uh, his dad had experienced being spanked. I, as a child, was not allowed to be spanked because I wasn't well, but I watched what spanking did. And hitting did to my sister. And I always ask people, like when I I know of a few people that swat their kids on the bottom, I've always asked why, if you're unhappy with what your child did, and you're trying to teach them the right way, and you smack them on the bottom, that's a physical reaction to what happened. And I don't, I could just never get or understand that on you're doing you're doing something that, in my eyes, it's it's not going to help them or support them. Where, if we, like you said, if we lead with love and parent with love, and that disappointing voice um, for us, we always would explain, "Hey, this is the behavior," and that's the thing is we have to realize that the behavior is separate from the child. And I think that's what happens when the you said the corporal punishment by spanking a child. You're saying that child is bad or wrong it's the behavior. Our children are born beautiful and loving and caring. And it's us that ends up, you know, as soon as they're one and they touch something they shouldn't and we slap them. Okay. Well, that means then you should, I should go slap somebody else. If what they do is wrong, that's what you're teaching them. Every single thing we do to a child as a parent is teaching that child what to do moving forward. So if we're going to spank them, then they should be allowed to spank us when we do something wrong. And that's the thing. I don't want to do anything to my child that I wouldn't want my child to do to somebody else. I don't want my child to walk around slapping people on the butt. So it's, I think it's one of those things that, again, if we, um, Dr. Paul Thomas and I will be talking about this more on the show, um, on our, our against the wind, which is changing now to with the wind. By the way, that's a secret. Um, (laughs) it's out there now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Don't tell them I did that. Um, there's going to be a part of it called living room logic. And that's the thing is I felt like we got away. We have gotten away from sitting down with our kids at the dinner table and talking, or when the kids come home from school, being in our living rooms, that's when, that's when we're supposed to be getting our best life lessons. He's in our own home, in our own living room, and that's where I feel like now homeschooled children are getting so much more than those that are going to a public school system because they're not always getting that living room logic time, and so <clears throat> that's part of it is I want my child to know that with his words and with his actions, his love, that that's what's going to lead him forward. So if our children, your kids and my kids end up having kids that they'll know because we raised them with that. That's how they're going to move forward with their kids.
0: That's a, that's a great perspective to understand that what we learn in life is often what gets modeled back in that generational movement. We're going to take a quick break right here. And when we come back, we're going to expand on some of those other areas of Kids First Forever and continue our conversation about coaching uh, with Dee Hoover here on America Emboldened. We'll be right back, everybody. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden, special guest Dee Hoover here on the America Out Loud Network. on either Falker
1: with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD.
0: Welcome back, Bold Americans, the second segment here with TD Hoover. Dee uh, Dee Hoover has started co founding kidsfirstforever.com, and that's with the number four, not spelled out for. So kidsfirstforever.com. And you've heard Dr. Paul Thomas on my episode about two, three weeks ago, a great pediatrician who served out in uh, Oregon for many years. Uh, now, Dee Dee and Dr. Thomas have started this physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional uh, coaching and wellness uh, training for parents. Uh, so highly recommend you go to that website. And we're going to continue back with our conversation with Dee now. Dee, so we were talking about kind of the emotional mental development at birth, but one of the other principles in Kids First Forever is spiritual wellness. And before I kind of go into spiritual abuse and kind of go on my own little tangent what are you focused on when it comes to spiritual wellness as part of kids first forever
3: it's it's really defining what spiritual means for people you know we have many religions and so when someone hears the word spiritual some people go to um you know i think it's been tough because it used to be about We would talk about God and our beliefs and our religion. And then so many people, including myself, it became more about who my soul was, what I'm here to do, and that spiritual aspect. And every person has their own opinion on what that is. And so I think with Kids First Forever, it's honoring. So all the kids that I work with, especially teenagers, I ask them, that's the first question is what does that mean to you? Do you you know do you attend church do you follow catholic protocols are you is your family we have one family that they're Indian and they're um I think that's Buddhism that there's they're following and there's just there's different ways that people look at what that means and I always say when someone says I don't know I'll I'll ask what's your higher power what is When you think about your higher self, when you're being raised to be your best you, where does your strength come from? For me, that's my, that's God. And that's everything in my world and everything that he has created. So, but it's different for everyone, but figuring out what that is first for each person, what that spiritual peace means, and then, and we nurture that. We don't make somebody wrong because they believe in something we don't believe in. What makes us, you know, how do we think we're right by something? And it's the same thing what's happening in the world right now. My truth isn't what other people's truth is. So when we think about spiritual truth, any of those pieces, not everybody agrees.
0: Yeah, I, I struggle. Say, I, I struggle like, with that statement about truth and people's personal truth because of what I believe is spiritual abuse. And I'm going to, that, that's a, probably a great segue that you said that. Um, okay. So right now in America, we have uh, conservative media. Um, some of my colleagues that go on long diatribes about LGBTQ plus, uh, talking about, you know, what the truth is versus what's a psychological condition. Um, and I tend not to go there on my show for the fact that i have trans youth that i teach and i try to acknowledge the um emotional well-being of them should they ever listen to my show um and when we talk about how everybody has our own truth uh something that i learned from my faith is that there's got to be at the end of the day a real authentic truth Mm -hmm. that things are black and white. Eventually that they're not gray, but we're living in a world right now. That's telling everybody that live your truth. And it's giving a really confusing signal to young people, to parents, afraid to be labeled as transphobic. Should they say anything that's out of line? I'm really curious with what you're talking about. With spirituality and mental wellness and emotional wellness, how does D.D. Hoover address the trans movement, LGBTQ plus, how do we provide that nurturing, loving environment and making sure that people aren't harming themselves because of what they have as a a mental, um, this, this morphia almost of who they are. I don't know how to approach this topic on my show, but I do see that a lot of people don't lead with love and that's just what I'm, what I try to do, but I don't know. So I'm looking for you as that wellness coach, help me be a better, (laughs) better host and better uh, moderator of this type of content.
3: Well, I have become very experienced with this topic. And so let's go back to the the truth. You're right. There's, there's only one truth, correct? That's, you know, it, it, we, we hear that all the time. And especially, like you said, with someone who, you know, if, with our religion or with our faith, whatever it is, that's the truth. Where when I say that each person has a truth, just because, again, I understand. If we say to someone, and especially with this, the youth and the LGBTQ community, I have a family I'm coaching right now. And of course the parents are struggling with what's happening with their children. And I, the way that I approach this with the child is, first of all, again, we have to remember what type of ability a child has, what can they do? They can't, their brains aren't fully developed. And and even up until 12, the spine isn't fully developed. So there's all kinds of things happening for them. They're constantly growing and changing. So, if a child comes to us and says, like in the, the, this, someone called it a movement of transgender, we are so toxic that I believe so much of the toxins in our world and how people are being raised. And because we haven't been really led with love and understanding for so long, that the kids, our children are confused. They're going through so much. And within this child who thinks, yes, I was born a girl. But I don't feel like a girl. I'm looking at society and society, what society says is the boy, that's how I feel. So that's how I want to be. But if I, if we say to this child, you know, you're just messed up. That's not the truth. That's, it's not okay. It's because of this or that or whatever. What's true for that child in that moment is how they feel. And it's the same thing we're seeing in society. My truth is my truth. That's how I feel. You may not agree with me but it's still true to me. And in in these kids, it's still happening to them. Whether or not we wanna understand it or get it or anything else, it's happening right in that moment. They are confused. Or for them, they're not confused. I'm, I'm a boy, I wanna be a boy and I want you to call me he. I want you to do these things this way because that's what makes me feel better. But I look back at some of the families I'm working with and I look back at, you know, more childhood things and things that happened. Everything that may have happened to them brought them to this point. And I know of a woman who um, just was so confused about who she was and how she felt, but because she was always being told, she's okay, you're fine, you're beautiful, you're great. But that's not how she felt to the point where, wow, I'm being told I'm great and I, you know, I'm beautiful, I'm this and that, that's not how I feel, then, and that's what I share with these parents, with these youth that's going through this, if you don't pay attention to who they are right now, and who they feel like they are, when you ignore that, that's when they will go out, and they will find things that make them feel better, like alcohol, or drugs, and that beautiful young woman isn't here anymore to tell her story, because she could never get past what people were telling her and how she really felt and never could break that drug addiction until it took her. So I think it's the same thing when I'm working with families and I'll explain to families, whether you get it or not for these parents, we still have to love and embrace our children for who they're being right now. That doesn't mean that it may not change in two years or three years, but if you keep telling your child that you, and I, this, just this last week, one of the the parent said, I, I love my children more than anything. I will always love my children no matter what. But when you say that, you're saying you love your child unconditionally, but you've just now said the only, you don't love them unconditionally because you've placed a condition. If you're going to be in my house, you have to act like a girl. I'm not going to call you a boy. I'm not going to pay attention to anything you might going, be going through. You talked about spiritual abuse and mental emotional abuse. If we're not paying attention to our, who our children are. That's that emotional piece. If I don't feel like you love me and care about me for just who I am, I'm not going to be able to be any different or better or grow. I'm going to get so stuck in how you feel, I won't even feel or understand how I'm being.
0: It's seldom that an answer will leave me without words, but that answer was very well stated, uh, it just goes to the core of, I think why I'm uncomfortable when I listen to podcasts, when I listen to media with the way the issue is addressed and divided rather than seeing the individual. Um, and I appreciate your words and hopefully they, they spread and people get to kind of hear that, too. there's nothing wrong with acknowledging feelings. Um, I I often say that there is a famous podcaster that gets it wrong. uh, Ben Shapiro. He often says facts don't care about your feelings. And I always say Ben Shapiro gets that a hundred percent wrong because feelings are so much of why we make the decisions that we make in life. And so obviously our feelings have got to be weighed in to the facts. It's also the reason why I think like Matt Walsh, uh, his, uh, what is a woman? got so much wrong, because I believe what he was saying is factually correct, what he wanted to make his point with, but he was unwilling to listen to the conversation that everybody else was trying to have about what is a feeling and why may a feeling lead somebody to suicide or to drug abuse, to alcohol abuse. And that's the humility that we all need to swallow. You know, I, I preach that on my show often that uh, you know, humility over hubris. Right? It's um, it's less about being right with the statements that I make, and more about being willing to be humbled. And your 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 answer was very humbling. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to recover a little bit here and. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, uh,
3: and one thing just to add to that too, yeah. it's it's connecting all four of those areas. So we're talking about those things and that's the pieces I feel like when we're raising our children and just being ourselves, if we have who we are physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually connected and, and healthy, then again, it it helps to prevent abuse. But if we're being that way as parents and we're raising our children that way, by that connection, all those things being strong, they can help each other and feed off of each other. If you're unhealthy physically or mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, if you don't have any spiritual foundation of who you are, what you believe in, what your faith is, all those other three areas suffer. And that's part of it is making sure that again, when we're raising our children from that moment, we put them in our arms paying attention to all four of those areas well you know they're really not mentally developed enough so how are they supposed to know brain wise they don't understand us blah 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 okay well if you keep thinking that way then you keep acting that way and if you keep acting that way then they never get to understand what from the very beginning what what we mean and how we're trying to love them
0: so let's uh let's get into how we recognize trauma and abuse maybe you're a parent and you have slapped your kid before maybe you're a parent and you have told a kid stop your crying you know there's nothing to cry over i'll give you something to cry about
3: <laughs> right
0: <laughs> isn't that that phrase
3: yeah that one <laughs>
0: yeah, i remember that one well too um i've never used that one because i remember it so well uh but that stated how do we get those parents as well as just the average parent that maybe is a little bit more self-aware of what we're speaking of today, how do we get them to realize the warning signs that your child is suffering some trauma? What are some things that parents should be looking at that show that trauma may be causing an impact on their loved one?
3: It's, I believe that it's, and again, it's different from age to age, um, but especially right now, we're talking more about just what's happening with our our teenagers, our youth, and that's when a lot of those decisions, because when they're really younger, we have more control, if you will, over what they're doing, what their activities are. We're driving them from place to place. So I always say that in every moment, and this is where, because phones and technology have become so important. I mean, we'll go into a restaurant, and I'll watch parents being on their phone, and their kids are on their phone, and nobody's paying attention to each other. It is Wake up and pay attention to your child every single moment that you are with them. How are they reacting when they come home from school? Did they slam the door? We don't jump on them right away, but we notice the actions and how they're being. Are they not willing, you know, are they becoming super inward bound and shy and don't want to talk, can't use eye contact? Just all the different things that we can observe can really give us those warnings. If they go to their room, they shut the door and never should be allowed to lock us out, by the way. That is something that I um, really, really feel is important is that your child's bedroom door should never have a lock. We need to always be able to open up our child's door. And again, if we raise them that way from the beginning, what's harder is if they weren't raised that way from the beginning. And parents are listening to this and going, Okay, okay, I didn't do everything that I should have, Didi, so it's never too late to start. But you have to then explain if you have an older child, hey, I'm going to be present now. I'm concerned. I'm seeing you come home and you're angry. I'm seeing, you know, I'm looking at your social media and I'm seeing things I don't like. I I love you and I care about you, so I want to be as involved as possible. We can't be there 100% of the time and we don't need to know everything. That's the other thing. If we're constantly telling, I need to know your every move, I need to know what you're doing, I need to know what you're thinking, that's our own fear that they're not going to make good decisions. But yet if we raise them with that confidence and that love, we can trust that they're going to have those, make those great decisions. The more trust they have, the healthier they are and the more trustworthy trustworthy decisions they make. Um, We don't want to install that fear in them. So I think I got off topic a little bit, but just paying attention to what's happening and making sure that we make the time for our kids and that we haven't gotten so involved in our social media and in our life and the things that we're doing that we don't have time every day for our children. They're gonna be gone before we know it. Although mine's back home, I kind of wish he was gone. <laughs> um, it's it's a tough world. It's hard out there now, and I'm so glad that he, you know, he feels like for him that he's made great decisions. There's been some that weren't so great, and now he's back home with us. And rather than uh, beating himself up or making decisions as a 23 year old, the world the world is still tough. It's harder. There was so much more independence when I was a kid. By 23, you were able to be on your own and do all these different things. The world is a different place. So when we need to raise our children now, right from the beginning, but even if we have it, reconnect. Even if your children are older, just still find a way to talk to them. I noticed that with in my family that some of the older generations will say, well, you know what you're doing and how you're living your life isn't acceptable. That's not how we did it back then. It's like, well, how's that working for you? Because you're stuck now too. So I think that's the biggest thing. Pay attention.
0: So I I feel a little bit uh, personally responsible because here I am recording a podcast as my children are (laughs) downstairs playing video games. Uh, (laughs) So I will... I'm happy done re-
3: with you,
0: though. They're I know, happy- but when when I'm done recording this, I will go down and spend <laughs> some good quality time. In fact, I have to get my uh a son a book bag today because my dog ate the book bag. So we're going out anyway to to go do that. Uh, while we're on a lighthearted kind of note here, why don't we hit another break and when we will come back, we'll uh we'll get into our our final segment with DD. We're having a great conversation uh, as we kick off 2023. I am hopeful uh, and prayerful that this is. Helpful to families and people working with young people. Um, We've been speaking here with D.D. Hoover, and you're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden here on the America Out Loud Network. Be right back.
1: While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. COFIX RX, the original iodine based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com
2: and use promo code
1: OutLoud for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX.
2: For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe. Yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared, sea level rise has not been unusual, and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America Climate Plan. A plan based on real science that responds to the real world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure. A plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com.
0: Welcome back, bold Americans. We are talking with D.D. Hoover of KidsFirstForever.com. Again, that's with the number four, not spelled out. So KidsFirstForever.com. We're talking about our young people, uh, the most important part of our world, our children. And we've been talking about uh the coaching that Dee does in order to help families have healthy outcomes and holistic outcomes for their children. And we're going to hit this final segment. And Dee uh, Dee and I were just talking about over the break, maybe make this segment for parents about the questions that I may have about my own kids. So maybe this helps you as a parent if you're out there as well. And so the first thing is, you know, I just got done telling you, Dee Dee, we play video games as a family after the pandemic in in 2020, when everything got locked down, my son was about to graduate at the time from kindergarten. And we had to do a zoom virtual kindergarten graduation. And my heart broke watching my son watch this zoom screen on my big screen TV, looking around at his friends. And I was like, this kid just got cheated out of it. And so we started allowing him to play video games so he could talk to his friends that he had made in other classes. And it seemed to become more and more acceptable at that point that a kindergartner would be playing games online with a headset with some of their classmates. And eventually my wife and I, we started gaming with the kids as well. And it's kind of become kind of like the board game time. Does video games get a bad rap in society.
3: Yes. And it's, um, it's with anything when there's controversy. So gun violence, um, LGBTQ community everybody has this again this opinion or when we talked about truth earlier what their reality is so video games um like anything whether you're eating bad food whatever the case is um it can have it can be healthy anything I think can have a health aspect to it and then it can have a hindrance aspect to it so with video games again back to um just in general, if a child's brain, if that's what's raising your child, your child on screen playing video games, what are the video games? You would say the term video games. There's so much. We played, we, we did video games with my son. Um, he wasn't, he, again, he didn't have a phone where he could put, you know, games and different things on it. At that point, he didn't have a smartphone. And Our rule was not, again, until he was 13 and he needed a phone for transportation and different reasons. So with video games, it was the same way does he need this? What I saw was very, very different with 2022 is this was the only way these kids could stay connected. They were being pushed away and out of their their social groups. And even as young as, like you said, kindergartners, first graders, second graders. And so allowing them to come together with friends and play games, um, I think is important. But again, is, is there violence? Violence? Anywhere, watching violent movies, seeing violent things, if the brain is experiencing that, and it's you're not healthy, then you bring that in. And when we talk about, you know, I, I have a hard time, even myself, blaming school shootings on video games. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll hear parent people say, well, where were the parents? And again, it's back to obviously, these kids weren't raised with that forward leading love and parents paying attention to them because again, how did that happen without somebody noticing? And it goes back to nobody if nobody's paying attention to these kids all the time. So for your children making decisions on video games should be about do you are is everything else done? Our rule is, is everything else done before video games get played? And are you going on to playing video games in a great space? If right. depressed kids are playing violent video games, no, that's all that does is grows the depression. It grows everything that's happening in them that's unhealthy, and that's and that's where I feel like so much of the the violent things that we hear happen is that peop- these kids weren't being watched, they weren't right. being loved, because right. I have a hard time finding. Thinking that a kid whose parents are interacting with him, you know, several times a day or talking to him, checking in with him, um, you know, and we do, we hear these backstories that these kids, you know, their parents weren't there. And they were in the system, all these different things that we constantly hear about. So even if it's not your child, we can still love other people's kids in the same way as we love our own. So if we see, like, I had to always know all of Ryder's Friends. I wanted to know who he was hanging out with and who he was talking to. And the same thing on the games. And I, you know, I hear parent, parents say, you know, well video games are, you know, they're terrible because it teaches your child to swear. <laughs> it doesn't teach your uh. child to swear. High school apparently teaches more words than I knew. Uh, but so again, I, I, I'm a, pretty
0: sure that I've probably taught my kids to swear more than yeah. any video games.
3: <laughs> exactly. And you know, I think swearing even gets, a, gets a, a bad rap. I tell parents that when their families don't allow any swearing or anything in the house of these teenage kids, I tell them that when they're in their sessions with me for wellness coaching, they're allowed to swear. It's mm-hmm. an expression. And is that expression coming from frustration? Great. Let's get it out. Let's talk about it. Is it coming from hate? Well, let's change that. Let's make sure. And that's the whole thing with video games is what's being played. How's it being played? When's it being played? Is it being played all night long when your kids should be getting rest? Right. I think there's so many. Yeah, I, pieces. To
0: I, I, I've had people reach out to me and say, I can't get my kid to stop texting at three o'clock in the morning. And I said, <laughs> well, it's very simple. You create a bin that every family member's phone goes in and place it there. Well, then they'll be on the computer. It's very simple. You turn off the internet and then the computer doesn't work that way. They're like, oh, well, how could I do that? Well, it's called parenting. Uh, But those are questions I got back when I was a youth minister. And even as a teacher, I get some of those. Um, A few weeks ago, uh, a guest on my show, Felt that they had a problem with politicians that put their kids with AR-15s in their hand or guns and take photos with them for Christmas cards. Um, I'm going to be very upfront with you, and my listeners may already know this about me. I'm very pro-Second Amendment. Um, I I personally, um, I have a permit to carry, um, even though I don't believe that I should have even needed the permit in the first place. So I'm a very pro-Second Amendment person. Both my children have been around uh, the weapons. They understand uh, the safety. If they ever find one, never to go near one. I sometimes worry that in people's ignorance about the second amendment and about weapons, that they don't actually put their own children in danger. Should they ever go to a party or go somewhere where a weapon becomes um, seen out in the open, Um, you know, from the side of working with youth this way, is there a healthy way to talk about guns with young people? Uh, does it have to be as extreme as the left and right, make it out to be where, where's the common sense on this and where have you found that you've had to coach this in the past?
3: Yeah, it's, um, And you mentioned it it, when you talk about common sense and we joke that it's not common anymore. And I think part of that is just because we've divided so many ways that we no longer know, you know, if you're like you said, you're sitting on one side, the other side seems super wrong. And that's back to one of probably the biggest things when I coach anyone is balance and understanding And education, and we attended a conference in South Dakota recently, and I can try and get that information for you Greg the team that came on second amendment rights but talk about gun safety. There is, and again, you know, technology, you can Google gun safety and I think that's the thing And my um, my family had guns and my I we don't have them in our home anymore. And again when you have a child that's going through things you know I think again you have to pay your own situation if you have a child that might be suicidal I'm sorry you should not have guns in your home um again paying attention to our lives and what we need and it's back to with anything video games guns anything teaching them the positives and the negatives how does harm take place when and again playing with a gun you know kids getting a hold of guns So, this team that talked about it at this conference talked about all the pieces of safety so well. And I think that, again, once your child holds up a hairbrush as a gun or um, talks about guns or brings it up, or they're going to play games or guns in, that's when you start the conversation. I don't care how young they are. What is a gun? We never allowed, right? My kid was a boy, everything was a gun. Um, And so, For us, it was like, even if it's a fake gun, you don't point it in my face. Mm -hmm. And why are you pointing it at me? And he always thought that was silly. And he was like, because I want my breakfast. And would hold up his finger and joking, give me my breakfast. Because he was seeing that the way you get what you want or stop pain or stop anything is to point a gun at somebody. That's Mm -hmm. what he learned. And all of a sudden, I was like, wow, that's not what I want my son to know. What is a gun for? And all the conversations that I'm seeing on TV, nobody talks about that. All we talk about is that, you know, an AR rifle and all of the, the trauma that it can cause and the abuse, all the things happening, the bad. And then somebody else comes and says, that sits on the right, like you said, and they come and say, well, it's not the gun. Well, the gun actually, it's it's the gun. Is it the reason the gun, it was the reason the sh- gun got shot the gun? No, you had to pull the no. trigger. Right. But if you didn't have the gun, if the child didn't have the gun, and I think that's it's the, the access. One, yes. Yeah, we're not seeing, both sides aren't seeing this middle, this balance of let's educate and let's teach us. But I feel like we need to also teach our kids how to protect themselves without weapons. How do, how do kids stay out of trouble without a weapon? Why do we even need weapons if we're being loved? And I'm not being one of those really froly people that say you don't need a gun. There are reasons to have a gun. I get it. And we also have to know who we are. And I remember when, um, because of some of my past and what had happened to me as a young lady, I thought I needed a gun to protect myself. So I went down, I got the permit, I got everything. I went to take courses. And the officer that was teaching me told me that he goes, okay, first question I'm going to ask you, will you be able to shoot this gun with the intent of killing if it's your life or theirs? All of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I don't know. And the fact that I don't know, I shouldn't have a gun. And so I think that's the piece is realizing who you are, what you need and what's happening. That's never talked about. I don't I think, ever hear I'm i
0: so glad you brought that up. I am so glad you, you, you just made all the points that you did. The other thing too, is ladies and gentlemen, I don't care where you live in the United States. I I've talked to people that are conservative that give me grief over this, lock your weapons up. If you have children, they should be somewhere inaccessible to your kids. Um, I think that's the 101 of safety nowadays there's biometric safes right you can put a biometric safe right next to your your bed if you need to have it really quick and with a simple thumbprint bam you have access in the middle of the night there is no need for weapons to not be locked up and endanger a young person's life. I lost a student several years ago uh, when she shot another student at a party and they were playing with a gun. And it was at that point in time that I realized I want to teach my children what to do and about the weapons that I owned. And I'll never get my daughter's face the first time. She had no idea that I had been carrying concealed for years around. (laughs) I mean, she never knew that there was a gun in the house and her face was like, oh my God, I'm scared. And I'm like, don't be scared. Let me explain what this is. Let me explain the intent of people that use this for for evil. Um, That's not what this is. You know, we can hunt. You know, should we need to get food? We have the ability to do so. Um, should we be in a horrible situation? I have the ability to protect you, my wife, and my family, myself, um, or protect other people from harm. And I I was asked that same question. I am so glad you brought that up. It's so important that you understand whether you yourself are safe with a firearm. Um, you know, for me, I have the personality that. Should there be a horrible situation on there, I'd be willing to give up my life to try to protect other people's lives. If that meant that I had to try to take out somebody and I lost my life in the process, mm. I would feel like that I, I did well in order to help, but that's not for everybody that's, that doesn't have to be politicized. That doesn't have to be a split. Um, but I, I really wish for our young people, we could solve gun violence while also respecting second amendment, because I've had so many kids that have been shot in the cities with gang violence. Um, you know, I, I, I teach in a city school, um, a high poverty area school as well. Uh, so my kids have a lot of, a lot of issues that, that I educate. Um, and I just wish we could help solve some of that too. And we seem really uh, divided as a country in so many different ways that it seems almost insurmountable at times. How the best protect our children? Uh, how the best advocate on their? Again, I think behalf.
3: that's a big. Oh, are we there? Yeah, that's a. I think a big piece of where kids first forever is all those areas we talked about. That is that's preventative. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Is the healthier you are, you're. You know, if you're physically healthy, then you're going to prevent some diseases and things. If you're mentally healthy and you're being raised that way then we might prevent some depression or you know we there's so much going on out there and I think that's the thing if we could come together more and just understand that everything that's happening is hurting our children the divide all those different things is we're as a society we're raising children to be fearful and afraid and that government CDC, all of these other things are should be our parents and and they know more about us than we know. That's just so uh, that is so untrue to me. That is not okay. And so it goes back to again, the moment we put that baby in our arms, protecting them, in my opinion, means raising them as healthy and well as we can, because that's I believe that's what protects them. Had I known some of the things, um, ways to protect myself as a child. Maybe I wouldn't have had some of the experiences I did. I I just didn't have that. My mom was a very young mom and didn't have that. Same with grandma. It's back to that generational thing. I decided I was gonna stop. It's not gonna be that way anymore for me or anyone that I come in contact with.
0: And hopefully today from listening to this show, maybe some people are listening going, I gotta change some things in my own life to make my children healthier. And coming to that realization of, I'm going to change what I can change and accept the things that I cannot, right? That's almost like the serenity prayer and uh, mm-hmm. make those uh, choices. Now, I've been talking about the website in, in between each break, but I, I want to focus a little bit on coaching uh, and the services that you and Dr. Paul uh, are offering. Um, so if you've been listening to the show today and you say, wow, this is uh, this is enriching. I understand how wellness coaching could be helpful to me. This is my little commercial spot that I'm going to put here. <laughs> <laughs> in full disclosure, here, I mean, I really am. It's kind of like a commercial because on your website, kidsfirstforever.com, you you do have a section for coaching where people can hire DD and they can hire Doctor Paul or both DD and Doctor Paul um, <laughs> as a package rate, and uh, you know, for for just sixty dollars, you guys are able to help coach somebody, you know, you can get some minutes with DD for 60 bucks to talk over what your situation is, uh, find out, you know, how she could help give you perspective. perspective is coming from somebody with over three decades, uh, worth of experience in pediatrics, uh, and with one of the top pediatric doctors in the United States as well, Dr. Uh, Paul Thomas, who you heard on the show a few weeks ago. Uh, so I, I would recommend if you heard something today. And maybe you have a young person that's going through something in your life and you spoke with your pediatrician and maybe they said, oh, well start this antidepressant and everything will be better. And you're going, uh, we need to work on some other things holistically, you know, get in touch with DD and Dr. Paul. I think that that's, that's really important. Uh, so DD, if somebody reaches out to you and they want to schedule some of that coaching, uh, walk me through what they can expect.
3: Well, first, the way to do it is because right now we're still again, this is 2023 is sort of the breaking ground now that Dr. Paul doesn't have his organ medical license. Now he can wellness coach and share all kinds of information. His wealth of knowledge is incredible. So if you go to info at kidsfirstforever.com, that brings, that will give me an email. And that's the best way right now for contacting. The site's still being developed and being brought up. We're hopefully we're, uh, I always joke, we're older, we're still learning technology and how to do things a little more online. But for us, it is that personal touch too, if they have any questions. But basically it is starting a session. If you're in the Portland area, can be in person. Um, if not, and I think that's what's great is just a Zoom talking to us. We do the, the ones over Zoom. We have, we're developing packages um, where if if you would rather just email questions and you get emailed answers, there's going to be all different kinds of ways. And if you go to kidsfirstforever.com and sign up for the email list, Once this, within the next couple of weeks, an email is going out that explains way more details on what coaching really looks like. But basically, it's you being able to ask questions and share what's happening for you in your world. And where do you as a parent, or in my case, kids, where do they need support? Sometimes talking to your parents, we may not always say everything or share everything. Um, And You know, I hear a lot of people say, well, my insurance doesn't cover you, but it does cover counseling. If you can find a counselor who's really listening to what's happening and coach in a way that allows for all those areas to be led in a healthy way, that's great. I hear, I get a lot of kids because counseling failed for them because they were being asked, how do you feel? And it failed for my child. It's like, well, how do you feel today? If they really knew how they felt and what's happening, they wouldn't be there. And that's the thing is sometimes it's just me asking questions and and being able to find out what's important to to these kids. And and that's the thing, too, is, you know, if your kids saying, yeah, I'm not going to I'm not doing counseling, I'm not going to do any of that. But they're willing just to talk to somebody else who's been there, who just wants to support the process it's that's important. Having our kids have someone they can talk to. If they're not talking to us, find someone that we can trust that they can talk to.
0: Beautifully stated the entire way through the entire episode today. What a wonderful opportunity, DD, to, to be able to sit down across from you and, and have this conversation. I hope that this is helpful to parents and those that work with youth and a kickoff. And we can certainly touch base in the future for more episodes. I wanted to share this with you since you're tied with Dr. Paul Thomas. I received an email uh, about uh, two weeks ago on December 23rd. And the email stated to me that they had followed Dr. Paul Thomas for four years. And uh, I had Dr. Peter McCullough on about two days after Dr. Thomas. And he said that, The two shows that I did were uh, with two of the best men in our nation. He said that he listened to 15 hours of podcast each day, eight to 10 hours at one and a half speed from a wide variety of sources. And he said, when I combine your two recent episodes with Dr. Thomas and Dr. McCullough, I consider them the best content I've consumed this calendar year. And I shared that today uh, because I, I get a lot of emails with shows and I got a ton of feedback about my interview with Dr. Paul Thomas, uh, but you're part of the team with Dr. Paul Thomas. And you know I, I know that this show that we've done today will be just as successful and be just as impactful. Um, and I, I wanted to make sure that individuals understood who I was talking to today when Thank I you. say I'm speaking with Dee Hoover, that you are the co-founder with Dr. Paul Thomas, and uh, that comes a ton of credibility. Uh, And I I wanted to make sure that you heard that email as well, because I thought that that was a great compliment to you and the team and Dr. Paul. Um, And I thank you uh, for advocating for children, because that's the most important advocate that we can uh, do work for is is our youth.
3: Thank you. And I want to share something. I think he would be okay with me sharing this is no matter what we go through in life, having support and love is really important. So what one of the kids first for everything and working with young children and everything I've been through has always been my life passion. When Dr. Paul Thomas lost his license and went through everything, that moment when everything was happening, even somebody who has this amazing practice and who is healthy and strong and kind in those moments where something happens to us. That support's really incredible. And I was a body worker into massage therapy for an injury for Dr. Paul. And that's when I introduced the wellness coaching to him. In that moment, I'm like, do you you wanna figure out how to do this? Do you want to do this? Is this what you wanna do? And that's when our journey of wellness coaching together started my coaching him and working with him. And it's not about me and who I am personally. It's about everything and everything that I've ever been given as a gift by God that ability to tune in and find out what does this person need right now, there's lots of people out there and it's finding those people to put into your life that can support you. And that's where, you know, he joined me in this mission and we both are putting it forward because having someone that you can talk to about what you need when you're going through something and guide you and help you and be there with you, It's it can be really important. He his who he is now and how he has been with everything that's happened to him, because he's incredible. And same with Peter McCullough. Meeting him was just a wonderful thing for me. All of these people, but even those people, when we, if you're just that mom sitting at home or that dad going, Well, you know, I'm my problems aren't big. I don't not losing my medical license, none of those things. What's happening in your world, if it has you confused or scared feel far or nervous, then reaching out and having someone be there for you with that can be life-changing.
0: Invaluable, invaluable, invaluable.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you so much, DD, for being on the show today. Um, I, I wish we had another hour that we could continue to speak because <laughs> this, was, uh, this was fabulous. I'm looking forward. We'll get you back on in the future to talk a little bit more about what you're learning uh, about our young people as you continue this. And I wish you all the best on your work and success. And what's the podcast again, that people can listen to is that you said that there might be a change of name and we're going to put you on the hot seat yes. to say it again.
3: Um, yeah. So er, most people might know with Dr. Paul Thomas, this show right now is against the wind it's doctors The website will stay the same, but we're, we're moving forward. Now the show's moving forward. And Dr. Paul being the loving, wonderful person that he is, he's realizing, um, you know, especially after losing your license and realizing you're being silenced because you're you're telling people and sharing information just so they can make the best decision. It's Not telling anyone what to do He's giving information. So the show is going to move more that way. Just bigger stories, more things, allowing people to make the best decisions for them. But we're going to do it moving with this wind that we're feeling in our world right now.
0: Sometimes you got to adjust the sails and go with the wind in order to get to the destination. You need to big my point.
3: Exactly.
0: <laughs> that, that's good. It's not always about okay. being against I, I I support that change. That sounds like a good one, a healthy change. Well, <laughs> Didi, have a wonderful, happy new year and much success and love, uh, from me to you guys from the East coast to the West coast.
3: Same to you and raising those beautiful children that you have. And you know, if you ever have any questions, you can always reach out.
0: Thank you very much. I will. All right, everybody. This has been another wonderful, phenomenal episode of the show. I'm so joyous and glad to be able to present this to you. I hope that I've honored your time well here. Uh, third day of the year, January 3rd, and we're we're kicking some major butt, having a good time, everybody. All right, you've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden and my special guest, DD Hoover, here on the America Out Loud Network. Be bold, America.